0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the Uncanny X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss The Uncanny X-Men, number 133, 40 cents. (gasps) It's been 40 cents for a while, but we we haven't pointed that out in a while, so I thought I'd bring it up. He made me go check.
1: Uh, Pretty (laughs) soon, it's going to turn to 50 cents, but...
0: Oh, man. But not yet. The uh, cover date on this one is May 1980, and it was on sale February 19th of 1980, and it is titled Wolverine Alone. Who am I? Am I a superhero with some claws?
2: Or just an actor searching for applause? Wolverine has all the fans, but what about me, Hugh Jackman? Who am I? I play the wolfman, yes, it's quite the task In X-Men, days of future past, there's a plug I'm at the gym doing weights each day Hugh has got to look buff, they say Must I lie? I cannot eat this ice cream anymore I need a body people can adore I gave up junk food, that I know I made that bargain long ago and all my snacks and crisps are gone. And now this Wolverine can go
1: on. I'm the best at what uh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Bub. Bub. <laughs> Futsers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. and on the cover of this issue, all of the X-Men have fallen before the might of the Hellfire Club except one Wolverine lashes out.
0: And uh, he is indeed lashing out. He is... He is... He's violently slashing several Hellfire minions.
1: I think there's six Hellfire minions and a bunch of crates. Yes. This is a uh, Burn and Austin Incorporated cover, according to the box they deliver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a uh, well, I have this issue, but it's a reproduction, so it's not it's not as cool as having the original issue. But I do have this issue. Is it like second print or something?
2: No, it's
1: uh, I I. I got it at a garage sale. No, I bought it at a, a used bookstore for like a dollar or something. And I was like, oh, my God, it's X-Men 133 for a buck. So I bought it and I brought it home and I was like, oh. And I, you know, I opened it up and it said something. It had a copyright date of 2009 or something like that. And I think what it was is, you know how sometimes they'll sell action figures and they'll bundle it with a comic book?
0: Oh. I think
1: this was probably came with a Wolverine figure.
0: Or a Hellfire Minion.
1: <laughs> oh, wow, man, if there was a Hellfire Minion with a comic book, I'm really disappointed I didn't buy it. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty good cover, I'll be honest.
0: It's, it's, it's a good cover. I like it. Yeah, it's one of the better John Byrne covers thus far.
1: So, open up the book. It's uh, Chris Claremont and John Byrne writing, co-plotting, and penciling, to, uh, Terry Austin inking, Tom Orzachowski lettering, Glynnis Ween coloring, Jim Sally Krupp editing, and Jim Shooter editing in chiefing. Oops. Deed. okay? Uh, yeah, I just kind of slapped the microphone a little bit. <laughs> Take that! <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll just jump right into it. Um, last we saw, Wolverine was in that uh, classic pose of his, kind of getting ready to mess things up in the water. Uh, but now he is kind of uh, pushing himself against a couple of ceiling joists. Kind of Batman style, if you ask me.
0: He is hiding up in the rafters. Well, there are no rafters, but he's hiding up in the ceiling.
1: Yeah, he's kind of pushing against the two wood beams there to, to keep him up there.
0: As... Ninja style. He's directly above a couple of Hellfire minions, one of which is moving a large box that says Wolverine alone. <laughs>
1: this is yeah this is definitely this is either Batman or it also could be uh, snake eyes
0: I feel like it's snake
1: eyes you think it's more snake eyes than Batman you're probably right actually
0: I don't know i I honestly have never seen Batman do this i mean i'm not I'm not denying that he he has I'm sure you have a sense of memory from somewhere but no, this does I... not ring a bell for Batman for me
1: there's like two thousand Batman issues out in existence one of those issues had Batman doing this I guarantee it.
0: Yes, you're probably
1: right. <laughs> so anyways, they're looking around. Uh, one of the Hellfire minions is like, I don't know what the point of this. That mutie's probably dead. We saw him all go in the storm sewer, right? If the fall didn't kill him, the water had to. Because cause Wolverine, he dies in water.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Although that is one of the ways you can kill Wolverine to this day is by drowning him.
1: Yeah, but they didn't know that
0: then. No, they didn't. <laughs> but he's like the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, what a world,
2: what a world. I'm, mel-
0: I'm melting, you futzers. <laughs> I'm melting, you futzers. You and your little dog.
1: <laughs> and so they continue their conversation about, like, well, even if he did survive, who cares? The rest of the X-Men are upstairs. How much can one silly, stupid little mutant do? Huh? I ask you.
0: And that's when some water, he notices some water dripping from the ceiling into his palm, and he looks up, and he's like, murray all of you the ceiling (laughs) it's attacking us with water
1: (laughs) nope it's wolverine who says surprise and he comes flying down out of the rafters with his claws extended one of the minions yells out angelo he's coming for you
0: (laughs) this is another classic wolverine pose which one this uh this third panel here wolverine coming down from the ceiling
1: sure yeah, and the fourth panel, I mean, he's kind of obstructed by the goon that he's killing, but that's also like a typical Wolverine slashing panel there. I like how
0: he shouts, surprise! <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he does, in fact, well, I guess, they don't say it here, but I think he kills this Hellfire minion, this next one.
0: And then he slashes the next one's gun and he thinks to himself, way to go!
1: Uh, he's been in better rough houses. The odds here are only three to one. Whoop, make that two to one, but I ain't complaining. So it looks like he gutted another Hellfire mutant.
0: And that's when he gets blasted in the stomach by a machine gun. Budda
1: Yeah, that's kind of a rookie wolverine mistake. It feels like he shouldn't be making that, but whatever. He gets shot in the stomach.
0: He goes down for the count. And the minions are kinda of smart about it. They they know that, you know. They, they they know they hit him, but they, they don't want to take any chances. So they kind of slowly approach him. One of them approaches where the other one is covers him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hey, you know what, buddy? I think the little runt is dead. I, I
1: like this one, though, because he, as he's thinking about it, as he's approaching Wolverine, he's at least like, oh, blast. I'll have to shift some of these crates to get a clear shot. That brings me a lot closer to Wolverine than I had in mind. So rather hmm. than just like nothing to worry here, he's dead. I'll just kick him a little bit. He's He's actually... Well, this is kind of a serious situation. In the background of this panel, there's a little bit of blood, which is, you know, it's not really showcased so much. And he did just get uh, shot in the stomach, so you'd think that there would be a lot more blood.
0: I don't know how, like, uh, bloodthirsty these Hellfire guys are, but if I was a bloodthirsty Hellfire guy, I would have just... Keep shooting him in the head.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Just walk up and shoot him right in the head and be like, look, we're done. Although I think the Hellfire, the inner club of the Hellfire Club, wants to take all of the mutants alive. I don't think that they've said that so far, but I think that's probably a reason they're not killing Wolverine.
0: Well, Wolverine, as it turns out, is still, in fact, alive. And he leaps up, your mistake bug, the little runt lives, which is more than I can say for you. So, I guess he kills that guy, too.
1: Yeah, he's he's on a murderous rampage. Uh, he's about, he's, a, he's just kind of threatening the other guy. He does kind of a, um, oh, uh a Clint Eastwood.
2: Clint Eastwood. Totally, like, you gotta ask yourself, bub.
0: Hey, bub, I know what you're thinking. He's, fur- he's hurt, and he's five meters away from me, and I got a full clip of ammo in my rifle, and did he pop five claws, or did he pop six claws? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, did I fire six times Right. Or did I fire five times? Question is, can I kill Wolverine before he can reach me and cut me into a shish kebab with these freaky claws of his? Well, bub, Wolverine's
1: virtually unkillable. And then he goes on about adamantium and being able to cut through vandium steel like a hot knife through butter. And five meters of floor ain't much distance at all. And somehow but don't worry,
0: because I'm just going to keep talking for another half hour.
1: Somehow, this Hellfire Club minion's face mask uh, contorts itself into a worried face. <laughs> Do you think the face mask is like leather or or plastic?
0: Some sort of latex.
1: Oh, you think so? Okay,
0: yeah. I don't know. I I, I would. I assumed that it was uh, plastic or or some sort of um, metallic, but apparently, apparently not. Yeah. No. It's the same way that Spidey's eyes shrink. Ah, good point. Good point.
1: So the Hellfire goon drops his gun, and that's when Wolverine jumps out of, at him, and he's like, no, what are you doing? I have a wife and kids. Don't kill me.
0: He doesn't say he has a wife and kids.
1: I'm just, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. Just assuming. <laughs> no. I've known
0: some since joining the X-Men in the old days. I wouldn't have given this punk a choice, but I'm going to give him a choice. Be cool, bub.
1: i got to be honest. like, So he picks this guy up. And lifts him <laughs> over his head, snicks out his claws, and says, I ain't going to hurt you, provided you tell me all there is to know about the Hellfire Club hotshots who clobbered the X-Men. So how long is he going to hold this guy above his head? You know what I'm saying? This guy's at least 160, 170 pounds. <laughs> or is um... it is it a quick, like, as Wolverine says this and lifts him up, the guy's like, I don't know anything about him, they're upstairs. Ah! And he lands on his head. <laughs> Because it seems like it would be one swift motion that would carry him over Wolverine's head. But
0: yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Where where does the Hellfire Minion go after at like in the like in what would be the next panel or off panel?
1: Well, we don't we don't get to find out that information.
0: But it... or maybe maybe he snacks his claws back up and ends and just punches him in the head or something.
1: So at this point, you're kind of thinking to yourself as the reader, like, oh, man, this is going to be an all Wolverine issue featuring Wolverine saving all of the X-Men. I can't wait.
0: You would think so. And that's what I was hoping for when they called it Wolverine alone. And and the last issue uh, stated, Wolverine alone, now it's my turn. And Wolverine lashes out and all this stuff. And you're like, but, man, this, uh, is,
1: this is a precursor to the whole Wolverine mini series and his own series? Like, this is going to be awesome. This is where he's going to finally be defined as, like, who he is. But, but then our scene shifts to the Hellfire Club and Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Storm, and uh, Colossus, who are chained up.
0: Cyclops has a ruby quartz mask covering his entire face.
1: Last issue, I think it looked like... Uh, ruby quartz silly putty that covered his face so it's either that or they've replaced it now with a nice warm fitting helmet it's one of the two his ears it does he can't breathe through his nose or his mouth but he can hear everything (laughs) the worst part about this is i can hear every i can hear myself dying
0: he can breathe through his ears maybe that's what it is it's his second mutant power
1: so we get a reintroduction to everybody. There's Shaw and Pierce and Leland and Wingard and the Black Queen, Jean Grey. So that's who those guys are again.
0: Shaw thinks to himself about how Wingard is clearly vying for his position as the leader of the inner circle, but he's going to be in for a big surprise. Wingard thinks to himself, uh, I suspect that shaw suspects me
1: (laughs) yeah
0: doesn't matter because i'm still gonna take the 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 prize and he gives Jean gray a big smooch
1: oh that's a consensual gigantic smooch wingard and the black queen embrace like long lost lovers when they finally part Jean's eyes are lit with a cruel wanton passion she's never shown before it's a weird thing to have happen in the middle of like We've got these X Men, and we're gonna do something with them. And I'm gonna kiss my lady here real quick. <laughs> it's like he's flaunting it in front of Shaw. He's like, "You got one of these? Cause I do."
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess it is kind of out of place.
1: <laughs> I mean, I get what they're doing here. Obviously, they're 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 uh, letting us know that this uh, possession has in fact taken place, body and soul.
0: The next two panels, we see Jean Grey in the exact same position as we see the real world and the world she sees, where the X-Men are prisoner in the real world. And in the the 1700s world, they're also prisoner, but they're wearing early uh, 18th century garb.
1: Yeah, I guess they'll refer to most of them as rebels, I guess. Um...
0: Cyclops does a lot of thinking to himself about Things that I'm not entirely sure how he would know all this, but thanks to Mastermind, Jean believes she is physically shifting in time, reliving the life of an 18th century ancestor. Anything she sees, including us, is in terms of the 1700s. This ancestor, Lady Jean Grey's wife of Jason Wingard, knows nothing of the X-Men. Her allegiance is to the Hellfire Club. If they ask her to kill her, kill us, I have a nasty feeling she'll do it without a second thought.
1: Uh, look, I'm with you. Uh, like I later on on the next page, as a matter of fact, uh, he'll he'll regale us uh, in a flashback uh, that he was told by her about these time shifting between now and the 17th century. So my thought is like he saw mastermind and he kind of connected the dots to say, oh, he's creating illusion of the 17th century. But all this other stuff about like her seeing them in terms of the 17th century and. Some of these other things are pretty big leaps of faith.
0: Yeah, I mean, she didn't even really seem to know what was going on, so it seems unlikely that she would be able to explain all that to him. But right, right. So well, I guess you got to explain it to the audience one way or another.
1: Yeah. So then, uh, the Black Queen goes up to Storm and basically starts referring to her as a slave, and it's a very long conversation here. Goddess, there's such.
0: Evelyn Jean's voice.
1: Is that what is that what you want,
0: Beauty?
2: The keys that will free you and your companions.
0: And Beauty is very apparently the English translation of the name Storm. Aurora, and, or uh, Aurora. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: in in African, Storm means Beauty. <laughs> it's weird that it has a double meaning. No, it's uh, I guess it's Aurora
0: the translation of beauty. Jean is flaunting her headdress and lockpicks, although she thinks it's a set of keys. Mm-hmm. She says, Jean, hear me. We're friends. I... And that's when... Oh, she's Jean cracks her with her whip.
2: Silence. Do you dare there. speak so to me, slave? I am not your friend, but your mistress. Ooh, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I own you. And as my right... Mine will be the hand that ends your worthless existence.
0: So They're not pulling any punches here. Cyclops is freaking out. If only I could see. It <laughs> I sounded like somebody hit somebody.
1: I can hear everything, and it's
0: driving me crazy. So, Curse these non-usable eyes. So his
1: plan here, it starts off anyways, is that he, well, he can't speak, and he can't use his optic blasts, but he can use his mind. So if he can maybe think, he can maybe come up with a plan.
0: Maybe if I have a flashback, sort of sort of events of things that we we're not really totally aware of yet.
1: Right. Um I I don't know how I feel about this flashback. So it starts off they're back on the butt in Phoenix uh, uh near Angel's place. Uh, this time they—they're not wearing any clothes. No, we—we right. just get shoulder and up view, but it's pretty much implied here that they are on the butt naked. They've—they're in the throes of passion, and they're talking about. I just wanted to see your face, and I can't believe you're holding back your optic blasts. And that's when Jean does something that I wish she would have done last issue to set all this up. But instead, it feels like as they wrote the story, they're like, "Hmm, we need a plot device." Okay, I got an idea. So that's when Gene says, Scott, I'd like to permanently establish a psychic rapport between us. Uh, it'll be like total sharing, total intimacy, total trust. I'll understand if you say no. And he says yes. So I like to To any
0: outsider, it might seem like I'm attaching a phallus to your head, but I'm not.
1: <laughs> it does look like a yes.
2: <laughs> but we're naked, so it's okay. I just move your junk and put it on your forehead. <laughs> I've got that kind of power.
1: Oh my, Whoa. my <laughs> deadly penis. <laughs> um, so, anyways, I don't. What do you think of r- revealing this psychic rapport here, as opposed to earlier?
0: Well, I agree with you that it would have made more sense had we revealed it earlier. But in the context of a single issue, it actually makes more sense to do it here only because of what i know is about to happen
1: well of course i mean this is a plot device that sets something up that's going to happen yet this issue but from a storytelling perspective or or, i don't know i I guess a lot of times you'll see this in a tv series where it's like stuff happens stuff happens stuff happens oops uh how to and then we introduce a flashback that we could have done in any of those last four or five episodes, but for whatever reason, we didn't. So now we're doing it now so that we can set up a scene that's going to happen in like five or ten minutes.
0: Yeah, it's not perfect, but, you know.
1: Honestly, I wish that they would have set up this psychic rapport like six or seven issues ago. Like, maybe we could have seen it happen then and then he could have had this flashback and we as the reader would be like, oh,
2: yeah, maybe he can use that.
0: I personally just want to know what happened to Wolverine. (laughs) It supposed to be Wolverine alone. Oh, don't worry. I, I'm—we've I, got a few pages left. I'm
1: sure he's coming back very, very
0: soon. This is Wolverine missing in action.
1: There, there certainly won't be two interludes between the next time we see him and now. <laughs> Let's carry on. So we're out of the flashback. Uh, Cyclops is still
0: thinking. Is like, yeah, that's the ticket. The private rapport still
1: exists. With some luck, maybe it could be our key to busting out of this mess.
0: And it looks like uh, Aurora is bleeding. Pretty pretty badly.
1: Yeah, she got cracked across the face. She looks like she's kind of like... Her mouth is open kind of like a, a silent scream. Like it must have really hurt.
0: Yes. Yes, indeed. Nightcrawler thinks to himself, Gene, my dear friend, whoever is responsible for transforming you into the Black Queen will
3: pay whatever it costs. However long it takes, this Nightcrawler swears. What's he going to do about it? I would teleport all over him. Oh, I'm so angry at you, Herr Shaw. Pardon my asking,
0: but why are we X-Men still alive?
3: There's simply no profit in
1: killing you, Herr Wagner. Good
0: you know Which my name. is interesting. Um, I, this is where we get the first sense of uh, using the genetic engineering of mutants to make a profit. This I never, yeah. no. I never like realized that this idea was this old. Oh, okay because this is an idea that will be used oh yeah constantly throughout the history of the X-Men.
1: Well, and it evolves quite a bit as they go on, but yeah. This is the motivation of the inner circle of the Hellfire Club at least at this point. They want to capture the genetic code of mutants, so they've used the X-Men to do that. Uh apparently they're not using themselves because they're going to keep them caged right. up like <laughs> laboratory animals and run tests and Stuff. I was
0: going to say the same thing. Why don't they just draw blood supplies from themselves?
1: Because <laughs> I have to imagine that whatever, like, it's probably involves, like, anal probing and some other embarrassing things. And they're like, oh, well, we're the inner circle of the Hellfire Club. We can't be uh, part of these tests. Let's get the X-Men. That's that's then, the only thing I can assume. Otherwise, it, you'd just be like, all right, we're all mutants. Let's find our genetics and sell them.
0: Why did they, and there's so many mutants in the world. They could steal the Morlocks. Well, no but
1: the Morlocks don't exist yet. No. <laughs> At this point in the Marvel Universe, there are very few mutants that we know Speaking of, I guess.
0: of other mutants, we cut to Muir Isle, where Sean Cassidy, one former Banshee, is going for a jog.
1: Yeah, that he is.
0: There's some thinking
1: there, some comparisons between Muir Island and Moira McTaggart and how beautiful and remote and island like they both are oh yeah. un- <laughs> unyielding uh yeah so sean does his running he goes up to the lab
0: moira darling feel feel up to a jog around the island i just went around three times i might i might uh i might be able to do a fourth <laughs> uh ugh, Ugh, dreadful thought <laughs> want to fool about then that's well, the only other thing we do we we run and we fool around
1: The spirit is wheeling, my love, but the flesh is beat. So she wants it, but she's way too tired to give it up.
0: (laughs) Good for her. She's just finished processing the data scans Professor Xavier made of Jean in New York. And uh, it turns out that the reason that Jean lost bits of her power previously, Mm -hmm. like back when she was fighting Magneto or after that, it turns out that she was protecting herself from herself her mind engaged a series of psychic circuit breakers that cut her power back to a level she can handle but lately someone or something has been releasing those breakers there are almost none left Jean's once more tapping near infinite power levels what the heck kind of data scans did the professor send her that she gets all of this information how come the professor doesn't have this information <laughs> moira
1: i've got this information but i don't know what to make of it Perhaps you and your island could figure it out.
0: It's a bunch of sine waves. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god, the psychic barriers are coming down.
0: Wow, this this psychic, this tells me not an entire story about the history of the psychic barriers going up and coming down. And they're, how they're too powerful and how she's been suppressing them. I'm really smart. That's why I figured
1: all this stuff out. <laughs> well, meanwhile, I mean, if if one interlude wasn't enough, we have a second interlude. In which Angel is flying around, uh, and we get some thought of, uh, from him about how he loves flying around, and he hates returning to Earth, but he does it all the same. Oof. Yeah,
0: that's all Angel ever does. I love flying. Flying's really great. So he
1: flies down. I'm not really sure where they are. I don't think they're at the mansion.
0: No, they're in, uh, in, uh, they're in, in uh, his, his Angel's house. New Mexico. In New Mexico. Arizona
1: searching. He's searching for uh, anything out of the ordinary. That's why he's flying around and he didn't find anything. So he returned to the professor who's been waiting for him.
0: Professor, you've been on edge ever since Cyclops took the X-Men to New York to confront the Hellfire Club. He left you behind. Is that what's bugging you?
1: He had good reason. If the team is following false lead, then no harm's done. If they hit pay dirt and heaven forbid, run into trouble. Oh, wait, that's, that's
0: Angel. (laughs) No, that's that's uh, that's for the professor.
1: Oh, is it? You will be safe. Free to carry on the fight. So the 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 fate of the X Men is in the Angel's hands. That's great.
0: Or or maybe it is Angel. I don't know. These these both of these word balloons are pointing at the professor, though.
1: It seems like Angel would be saying that to the professor, like, "Hey, if the X Men dies, you can go find a third team. <laughs> just keep, right. just keep finding those X Men and sending them to their graves. That seems to be what you're good at, old man."
0: I should be with the X-Men Angel, monitoring their progress, aiding them in battle as I did with the original X-Men. I feel so helpless. I cannot establish my mental rapport with the team. I won't know what's happening to them until it's too late. I've trained Cyclops to take my place as the leader, but when that day finally came, I found I resented it. And him. The resentment caused me to make some terrible mistakes, Angel. I fear innocent people will suffer because of them. Ooh, ominous words. Whose meaning will soon become apparent, but first it's time to return to the Hellfire
1: Club, where we find that Institute's anniversary party, attended by some of the wealthiest, most influential people in America, if not the world, still going strong. That's curious. I don't actually know what his words mean, but I guess, I guess we will find out soon. We'll have to try to remember that. I... I...
0: Hmm. okay well anyways we, we get a first uh call out to senator kelly who is at the hellfire club party not a member of the club but uh invited by mr shaw i don't
1: think we actually get to see him this issue but we, we don't see
0: him now but we we hear about him
1: kelly the presidential candidate i didn't know he was a member yep he's presidential candidate senator kelly
0: And uh, after they walk away, the uh, Wolverine comes out and uh, of the, what are these things called? The Dumbwaiter? He's in a Dumbwaiter, yep. There's a time for scrapping and a time for being sneaky. Either way, Wolverine's the best there is. Is that the first Wolverine's the best there is? I I think it might be. Not quite the, the best there is at what he does and what he does isn't very nice, but we're getting there.
1: We're getting there, yep.
0: Word by word, next time we'll see it Wolverine's the best there is at and then it'll be, <laughs> Wolverine's the best there is at what?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it'll keep going. So he questioned that goon that we talked about a little bit ago, but he didn't really help so much. So I guess Wolverine's been following Nightcrawler's scent and now he's picking up um the rest of the X Men as well.
0: Nightcrawler is stinky.
1: <laughs> Apparently. So Across, I guess Wolverine has to cross a main ballroom or dance floor in order to get to where the X-Men are, but it's filled with patrons. And so Wolverine's kind of like trying to figure out how he's going to do this without making a fuss.
0: It's all for naught, though, because uh, a gun is placed to his head and somebody says,
1: Freeze, sucker! And you're like, oh man! Finally, we got back to some Wolverine stories. So now, the rest of the issue is going to be about Wolverine saving the X Men, and we can get on with this whole thing, right?
0: Uh, unfortunately, no.
1: Oh wait, no. The next, very next panel. <laughs> oh, so it looks like Leland is kind of flirting with uh,
0: Jean, and she's S- flirting back, much to Scott's chagrin. I do want to point out that Wolverine thinks to himself, "Whoops." <laughs> <laughs> he does. Which
1: Whoops. I find Gene's flirting with them all. Mastermind's given her the instincts of a minx. But I can't, I daren't think that. I've got to focus on the job at hand. Nothing else. You know what's interesting is his little ruby quartz mask kind of has an X on the front like his current uh, Cyclops mask does. It's true. Yeah, so. If I can't reach Gene through our private rapport, maybe I can shatter the time slip illusion Mastermind has created.
0: He concentrates really hard, and the next thing he knows, he is in the astral plane, surrounded by total whiteness. And suddenly, his clothes are transformed into the revolutionary war outfit that we've seen him in before. Mm-hmm. A door appears to the—it's the entrance to the Hellfire Club—and uh, Jean Grey, dressed as the Black Queen, opens the door. Gene, Scott it's approaches. me,
2: Scott. Do I know Great you, sir? Scott. Your voice is strangely familiar, but your garb marks you as an American rebel. King George's enemy and mine.
1: And Cyclops goes
0: on to say, try to remember, we're lovers. You and I are X-Men. And that's when Jason Wingard shows up. You're wasting your time, boy. Neither you nor the your precious X-Men mean anything to my lady wife.
2: Mastermind.
0: (laughs) Be gone from this place, sirrah, or my husband will cut you down where you stand.
1: Cyclops does think to himself, well, this is impossible. Mastermind has no psi powers. He casts sophisticated illusions, nothing more. How could he have learned of Jean and Maya's rapport? More importantly, how did he take control of it? I've got no choice. I have to fight him on his turf, on his terms unguard Sir Jason
0: so they do uh, some sword fighting and uh Cyclops tries to talk mastermind into revealing what you just mentioned about how he is uh how he's managed to break through their rapport and uh they sword fight and mastermind refuses to tell them anything
1: Mastermind does say that he's known about the precious rapport from the moment it was established. So I wonder if he was there also, kind of in mind, when, uh, they did the nasty. He was the butt. (laughs) I made an illusion of a butt, and I was the butt. You guys were literally on my back. (laughs) You, uh, you've never possessed those kinds of psychic powers, and, uh... Mastermind will not reveal his little secret.
0: Mastermind clearly the better sword fighter as he's just kind of testing Cyclops to see how good he is. And then we cut back to Wolverine who uh, grabs the gun arm of the Hellfire minion that is holding a gun to his head.
1: So a timing thing. When Wolverine had the gun pointed to his head, the dialogue went, meanwhile... So, like you pointed out last issue, that that kind of means like at the same time elsewhere, this whole Cyclops Wolverine or this whole Cyclops Jean Grey thing happened, and then the cutaway says, "At this point, let's return to Wolverine and the Guard." So, has this goon been holding the gun to Wolverine's head for like five minutes? Yes. <laughs> Don't move, sucker. I'm I'm warning you. I, I am well, really warning. I can warning
0: explain you. that by saying that time flows differently inside of people's heads
1: oh i'll give you that sure but there was a little bit of a build-up between the flirting and the actual entrance of the rapport but
0: actually you're right because it says for a long time to cyclops in eternity nothing happens and then (laughs) yeah yeah anyways so yeah i guess he's been holding the gun to his head i'm gonna shoot you dude just you wait I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot my gun.
1: I'm going to shoot the crap out of you. (laughs) You're not even going to know what happened to you after I... Just move. Move. Come on, move. Move. (laughs) Oh. Anyways. So, hands on your head, fella, and no fast moves or... Ow.
0: (laughs) Wolverine grabs him by the wrist and somehow flips him out into the room. That's impressive.
1: Yeah, he's like... I guess that's his right hand that he flips up and around, so it's kind of like upside down, and then flips this guy out into the dance room to provide him the cover that he needed. Stay Keep a-
0: calm, folks. Stay out of my way and you won't get hurt. Back, everybody. Let
1: security handle this. Oh, another custom maniac. What's happening here? This isn't the club I remember.
0: <laughs> Wolverine gets attacked by some of the Hellfire... Not minions, but uh, they look like hired, hired help. Let's say,
1: yeah, they look like Pierce, but I guess they're not Pierce. They've got that kind of colonial wig on, um, whatever, and they beat him basically with what looks like bobby sticks or whatever those things are.
0: Wolverine uh, doesn't kill any of them because he doesn't know whether or not they're inner circle mercenaries or just regular club employees. So he's he's kind of cutting back. And, uh, and yeah, they, they they beat him down, and and that's the last we see of Wolverine.
1: Yeah, you're kind of expecting, like, okay, well, that's fine. He gets beat down, and maybe in a couple of panels, he's just going to burst out of the pile of people, like, all feral, and like, I'm Wolverine, but no.
0: So much for Wolverine alone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we go back to the sword fight. Uh, they're back and forth. Jason Wingard disarms uh, Cyclops. And says uh, a better man or a, chival- a, chival- a chivalrous man would allow you to surrender, but I am not chivalrous, and ours was a duel to the death. And he stabs Cyclops in the ch- stomach.
0: He skewers him.
1: You were a noble, valiant foe, Cyclops, all a hero could hope to be, but in this case, the best one, says a Jason Wingard who has flashed back to reality. And all the what rest of that... is in
0: What do you think is in Cyclops's
1: purse? His purse? Oh, I don't know. He's got like a little satchel there, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. What, what do you think is in that? A gun
1: that he forgot to use. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the uh, Hellfire Club—they're just kind of drinking their wine, like they totally expected the psychic battle to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, well you, you know, know, psychic battles just kind of go on in the background. Nobody really realized it was happening.
1: My friends, what happened? Colossus asks. And Cyclops like,
0: was all right a moment ago.
3: Then he gave a great cry and collapsed. He he lies to a steel storm colossus. His chest isn't moving. His he isn't. Ble- Cyclops is dead.
0: Uh, is you too late. The heroes a prologue to disaster. I have
1: to say that every uh, page that Jean has been drawn on as the Black Queen, she's had one eyebrow seductively raised.
0: Yeah, that's that's the Black Queen's thing.
1: I Guess, just permanently arched. So there I you can't go. You can
0: tell she's enjoying herself. She's like, oh, oh yeah, I'm gonna kiss Jason Wingard again. <laughs> well, that's
1: it. That's the end of that issue.
0: That's true. We're not lying about that. Uh, we got a letter on the Facebook. It's from David Steele. He says, I just finished the podcast for issue 130 and I thought I'd share some trivia with you. The song you played at the close, Your Disco Needs You, performed by Kylie Minogue, was co-written by a British singer named Robbie, called Robbie Williams. Robbie started his career as a member of the boy band called Take That and rejoined them after a long break in 2010. In 2011, Take That recorded a song called Love, Love, which features over the closing credits of the movie X-Men First Class.
1: Adam, you knew that, too, when you made that song, when you posted that song. Nope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Subconsciously, you did. He also likes the Kitty Pride voice and the Dazzler singing her dialogue voice. <laughs> I think I actually ended up choosing a Kylie Minogue song uh, because I was kind of Googling around and... There were all these images of how Kylie Minogue would be the perfect person to cast as Dazzler and there were these images of Kylie Minogue and they had put the Dazzler makeup on her. Yeah. And she, she did look like a pretty good Dazzler, I have to admit. Wasn't she in a Doctor Who special? Yes, she was uh in the Titanic one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I about that. She'd probably make a good day. she's been around forever though. I mean not 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 that I shouldn't even say that that way. She has been around for a long time. Yeah. And she still looks very good.
0: She's the U.K. Madonna, maybe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> oh, I think she's prettier than today's Madonna. but Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. For sure. For sure. Sh- All right, well, if you would like to reach us, uh, do so. We're at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com, or, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You could follow us at Danger Room Go, or you can email us at... Room at com. Go out to iTunes, click on the podcast thing, type in Danger Room. We'll come right up there. You can subscribe. You can leave us a five-star review with a comment. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much all the places you can go, right?
0: Yeah, we haven't gotten any reviews in a while.
1: It's been a while. But uh, slowly but surely, the uh, Facebook, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, group has been growing. So that's nice and encouraging to see. Indeed. So let's just jump right into Classic X-Men number thirty-nine.
0: Uh on sale July twenty-fifth of nineteen eighty-nine, uh cover date of November nineteen eighty nine, and uh this one's titled Briggs Revenge. The cover
1: is I like the cover. Cover's not bad here. It's a Steve Lytle cover. Yeah, it's it's
0: it's a good Wolverine.
1: It's Wolverine kind of recoiling backwards as he's swinging his claws at a Hellfire goon who is shooting him, while another two Hellfire goons kind of cower in the distance.
0: The minions do look kind of silly in this.
1: Yeah. The expression of the guy who's got the claws extended out at him is kind of, I don't know, Disney comical. <laughs> oh, yo, oh my gosh! <laughs> Ah, yeah. So, Briggs' Revenge is written by Ann Nocenti and some nobody who'll never go anywhere, penciled by Jim Lee. Never heard of that guy before. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Inked by Joe uh, Rubenstein, lettered by Jim Novak, and colored by Greg Wright. And the inside, well, front piece as they call it, is Nightcrawler kind of jumping around in the moonlight.
0: I wonder why they chose Nightcrawler for this.
1: I have no idea.
0: I guess Steve Little just felt like drawing Nightcrawler. Yeah. Good on him.
1: So, this is, a, this is a Storm story, essentially. Storm is flying around New York. She loves it. She can't resist flying. Flying's awesome.
0: Just like Angel.
1: And she gets done flying. She knows that she should probably be taking a bus or something because she's supposed to be protecting her parents. Uh, private or her whatever her secret identity but she don't care so she lands in a uh, alleyway and a guy who immediately i thought was gambit was like "Ooh, she can fly (laughs) i don't know if you this looks almost exactly like a jim lee drawing of gambit early on
0: he's a little less uh he's a little more unkempt than gambit
1: this yeah but i mean so this could be like a poorly inked jim lee gambit Mm
0: -hmm. the lips are all wrong
1: yeah, yeah, the lips are thicker, you're right. But but that's what I immediately thought. I was like, oh, weird, it's going to be kind of like a Gambit precursor, but it's not.
0: I can definitely see where you're going.
1: Yeah. There's a panel that looks exactly like this in, in, in an X-Men comic that Jim Lee... The eyeballs
0: with. are the same. Yeah. <clears throat> with sparkly
1: mm-hmm. power, or whatever. Anyways, uh, so this guy sees Storm, he's like, oh, he's a mutant, or oh, she's a mutant, I hope she's nice. So he runs up to her, everybody on the street's like, oh, man, that black woman's so... Pretty and elegant and stuff. And this guy runs up to Storm. He's like,
3: Hey, hey, I want to talk to you. I'd like to talk to you.
0: I think it's actually Rob Liefeld.
3: What? You think
1: this guy is Rob Liefeld?
0: Yes, I think Jim Lee drew this to look like Rob Liefeld.
1: It could be. <laughs> He's not wearing jeans, though, is he? That was Rob Liefeld's thing, wasn't it? I
0: don't know. It's hard to tell.
1: Yeah. Anyways, uh,. He's trying to politely introduce himself, but Storm is not giving him the time of day. And he, oh, how annoying! Go
0: away! Who does he think he is?
3: Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Billy Briggs, and I'd like to meet
1: you. Hey, hey, where'd you go? Hey, not, not so fast, lady. I was talking to you, introducing myself, and you just walked off.
0: A little overdramatic, this is Billy Briggs.
1: <laughs> Why? Oof! And some guy comes and punches him in the gut. Yeah, that's uncalled for. No kidding. And then he's like, oh, it was nothing to do that for you, beautiful. I'd do it for you anytime, anywhere.
0: Oh, yeah, I didn't notice the anywhere. He's a creep.
1: <laughs> I didn't know. But Storm's all like, ooh, you're so gallant. And this guy, Briggs, he's like, what? She's flirting with them. Oh, just because he's rich and I'm poor and weird looking she's just as prejudiced as the rest. And uh, Storm walks off after her encounter with this, I guess, rich, slick man. And she's very happy, like, ooh, ooh I met a rich man today. <laughs> <laughs> well, later on, they're back at the X-Mansion, and uh, Wolverine has bet Colossus that he can't rip a tree out of the ground for some reason.
0: Which Colossus does with ease.
1: And so apparently a case of beer was on the line, but Wolverine doubles down and says, I'll turn the bed around if I can chop and stack this wood or this tree into firewood in 30 seconds. Which, come on, that's impossible. It's a whole tree. <laughs> it's going to take him 10 minutes to saw through just a, a tree trunk. Whatever.
0: But he's he goes to town. He's going to make an attempt, and Storm is counting at 11 and 12...
1: And then that's when Briggs, who's behind a car or a tree or something, I don't know, he makes the car blow up behind them. Bacoon! I thought I smelled something.
0: It it's is. the one who bothered me in the city today.
1: You know this guy. And uh, now... This is a very classic Jim Lee pose here.
0: This <laughs> brings, demands that Storm make a choice, that she has to choose who is going to die, her good friend Peter or her good friend Wolverine. And uh, it's it's quite a dilemma for Storm that she thinks about for a page and a half.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you have five seconds. Hmm, well, let's see. Well, Colossus is nice. Wolverine's a survivor,
3: right?
0: How am I
1: doing on time? (laughs) Four seconds. For God's sakes, I'll give you an extra ten seconds. So she has this internal, I don't know, debate with herself as to who, well, she decides, like, nobody can make it to him. There's no way that they can counter this attack. And so eventually she chooses Wolverine. Her thinking is that Wolverine could probably jump out of the way. He's got his healing factor. And Colossus is just so innocent.
0: Right. So he strikes Wolverine. And uh, Wolverine does dodge a little bit. But takes a pretty big brunt of the blast. So Briggs goes to follow up and give him another blast. But by then Colossus has picked up the tree trunk from previously. And he smacks Briggs with it. And kills him, because that's what would happen if you hit somebody with a tree trunk.
1: <laughs> Just drop him, Storm, right here. He's mine, Wolverine says as he gets up. And it uh, turns out that this guy actually is not dead from being smashed in the face with a tree.
0: And flying up into, the gr- uh, up into the air and then dive-bombing into the ground.
1: Now it's your turn to choose. You can die by claws or use those fists to fry your brain. I don't really know what that means. Oh, because Colossus has his fists, which apparently are the generation of his power pointed at his head.
0: Wolverine, he is a human being, evil perhaps, but we do not know what has made him this way. He reached out for me today and I ignored him. I perhaps am as guilty of wrongdoing as he.
2: Let's bring him inside the mansion.
0: Perhaps Jean can help
2: him with this sad creature.
1: This, must, this is uh, definitely pre-Hellfire Club at this point. Yeah. Fine. Just get him out of my face glasses before I change my mind.
0: Logan, you do understand why I had to choose you.
1: Yeah, yeah, good choice. (laughs) I'm going to go get a beer. Forget it. I'm going to get a beer. Storm, are you all right? Looks like I won, lady friend.
0: Briggs thinks to himself. Which is, I I don't understand the end. How did he he win?
1: He won because he caused her inner torment and turmoil... For making her choose between her friends. And even though nobody got hurt, and even though, like, having him aim at Wolverine was the right decision, she still feels guilty, I think, is what they're trying to
0: impart on us. There is kind of a continuity issue here. Yeah, what's that? If this story does take place prior to the Phoenix Saga, which it has to, how does Storm know Wolverine's name is Logan? What? The... I don't think he's revealed his name to anybody yet. You don't think so? No, he revealed it to Mariko. But huh. That's it. I
1: think, well, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. This could be one of those things where it's like all off panel. Like once it's been revealed to us, the reader, it's just assumed that he's revealed it to everybody else. But that's also
0: not necessarily true. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's going to be a scene coming up at some point where he does tell everybody. Oh, by what? the way, my name's Logan. What deal with it? <laughs> deal with. It. I'm
1: the best at uh, what I do.
0: <laughs> I'm the best Logan there is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that Logan's not very nice. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, yeah, it's not a, not a terrible classic X-Men issue. It didn't really add anything to the whole lore, but I don't know. What year did you say this is? 1989, I think. Yep. I think Jim Lee would have been probably getting close to starting his run on X-Men at this point. Who was the inker? Was it uh
0: Scott Williams?
1: I don't think so. No, cuz this is I mean this is not classic Jim Lee art. Hmm. It's Joe Rubinstein was the inker. Interesting. So he hasn't been quite teamed up with what ends up making him Jim Lee. So, I guess we also could talk about uh what
0: Marvel Team-Up number 89 Yeah, this is an issue featuring Spider-Man and Nightcrawler, a little side story of Nightcrawler called Shoot Out Over Center Ring, featuring Nightcrawler picking up Amanda Sefton at the airport, and, uh, and I guess they spot Arcade's plane.
1: Yes, they're at the airport. Amanda Sefton is a stewardess or an airline attendant, whatever, flight attendant, whatever you want to call her, uh they're definitely dating. They're a thing. There's kissing and all sorts of stuff happening here. She does not care that he looks like a little blue devil, which is good good for her.
0: So, seeing the plane that is Arcade's uh Nightcrawler tells Amanda to stay behind and has to go investigate. And uh we we get kind of a flashback of when Arcade kidnapped the X-Men.
1: It's a the two things to, uh, to mention about this. This issue was written by Chris Claremont, and it was penciled. The first half was penciled by Michael Nasser, and the second half, well, I guess the last three pages, was uh, penciled by Rich Buckler, which is just weird that they split those duties up like that. Or maybe Michael Nasser was like, ugh, the hell with this. I quit. <laughs> I'm not making my deadline uh interestingly enough joseph rubenstein was the inker he was the inker on our classic x-men story Hmm. anyways um the flashback scenes are terrible like there's a lot of text in them and just really really poorly drawn pictures that you couldn't even tell what they are (laughs) they've got
0: interesting borders
1: they're they are very ornate borders but you're like you can tell who arcade is and I guess you can kind of see Miss Lock and Nightcrawler, but man, you're like, why is this drawing so poor? Like, why do they even bother? Um, we also hear, uh, and I don't think we knew this before as a car pulls up the voice, uh, with the Texas twang Nightcrawler recognizes immediately. So we all had it
0: wrong. That's right. I did notice that. So now we, we have to alternate our, uh, our arcade. Now
1: it turns his heart to ice. Uh, we got nothing to, nothing more to say, pally. <laughs> we'll start there. <laughs> and this guy, I guess the guy that's with him was the guy that hired him to kill Spider-Man. Right. And uh, there's a lot of panels here.
0: <laughs> uh, Nightcrawler manages to escape back to the limousine, but not before Arcade smells brimstone. What is that smell? Brimstone? Well I'll be. Only one body in the world makes a stink like that. You know, I don't know, it's gotta be a little creepier than that. You know all of uh <laughs> all of a sudden this night's starting to look up. Well,
1: <laughs> maybe. You think it has I to be know. creepy? It can't be like used car salesman. He doesn't look
0: he looks creepy.
1: Well I'll be only one body in the world makes a stink like that. You know, no, he's
0: too, he's too, he's too, uh, he can't be that slow.
1: All of a sudden this night's starting to look up. No, you don't think so?
0: No. Yeah. Hm.
1: All right. <laughs> well, Amos Jardine, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's given Miss Locke the business now, but Miss Locke, she don't take it. She just flips him over her. She
0: kicks his ass. Totally. We get to see Miss Locke in action for the first time and she really does kick some serious butt.
1: So Nightcrawler pushes Amanda Sefton into the trunk of this car, and he gets in with her. And they drive across town. Nightcrawler and Amanda in the trunk. Nightcrawler's like,
3: oh, (laughs) you don't know how long I've been trying to get you into a position like this.
2: (laughs) I'll bet. Watch the hands and tail, bub.
0: And then she pops her claws. (laughs) Snicket. And then we get a little bit of backstory.
2: Kurt, why do you sound spitter every time you mention Jardine's name?
0: It turns out that Jardine is the man who bought Nightcrawler's circus. And uh, formerly, Nightcrawler used to be a trapeze artist, but once Jardine bought it, he made him a part of the freak show. And that's when Nightcrawler ran away from the circus, which brings us into the events of uh giant, giant size x-men number one
3: two days later i joined the x-men oh listen we're stopping Ooh, underground parking i wonder where we are <laughs> <laughs> we don't have this in germany
0: and apparently amos jardine uh publicly challenged spider-man in the daily bugle to come to his circus mm-hmm
1: nightcrawler overhears all of this and he's like well I look enough like (laughs) Spider-Man that I'm going to jump up there and be Spider-Man.
0: Thereby drawing the attention of whoever the secret assassin that Amos Jardine has uh, hired and and it works. Uh, The assassin's name is Cutthroat. In the crowd,
1: a man says, That can't be Spider-Man. And I'm Peter Parker, so I should know because I'm Spider-Man. Case the audience didn't know who Peter Parker was. And yeah, this
0: Spider-Man, uh manages to change his costume into Spider Man and save the life of Nightcrawler as Cutthroat takes a shot at him.
1: Tisvoft. That's the sound it makes.
0: <laughs> Dissolve.
1: Uh so there's some trapezing going on. Nightcrawler teleports a couple of times, saving Spider Man this time, who's about to be shot by cutthroat cutthroat on the cover by the way looks like a low-rent dr doom with a beard in my opinion
0: yeah i can see that he kind of looks like that on page 15 too
1: so now we're in the pages that were drawn by the other artists and the art seems to take a dip in my opinion
0: i didn't even notice
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so it's kind of there's a lot of things going on on these pages Uh, But eventually, all heck breaks loose in the circus, and everyone's running to and fro. And that's when Amanda Sefton runs out,
0: and she's like, I
2: saw him!
0: Referring to the cutthroat dude. So uh, the heroes go after him and bust into the room to take him out. And Nightcrawler says, Guten Abend, Herr Scherk. Which means, good evening, Mr. Thug. Ooh, and doesn't he look like Dr. Doom here, kinda? He looks
1: He looks like a G.I. Joe guy. He does, he's got like a skull belt, he's
0: got like a cobra. He's like a cross between Zartan and Serpentor.
1: Yeah, I'll give you that, sure. and uh, then they fight, there's some fisticuffs.
3: By the way,
0: I'm Nightcrawler, who are you? Y-
1: you're a monster! Nope! Nope, I'm an X-Man, ouch! <laughs> Whichever you are, you fool! You're a fool, cutthroats—the name, goblin murders my game. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So everybody's running around. There's a guy with a Superman shirt, kind of obstructed by his hands, running away from Spider-Man. Just <laughs> funny. The elephants get engaged. <laughs> the lion. Yes, cutthroat engage.
0: releases all of the animals, if... and. Uh... Spidey and Nightcrawler have to stop both the animals, uh, which Spidey does with his webbing. And Nightcrawler goes after Cutthroat and uh, he's all tired and stuff. Who is? Cutthroat or Spider-Man? Nightcrawler. No.
3: I'm so tired. You take care of this.
1: And Cutthroat comes out of nowhere and starts shooting at uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler's got to do some aerobics. And that's when he gets shot by some sort of magnesium flare. It's really it's really bright.
0: Which blinds him.
1: Problems, mister. I, uh, I can't see.
0: He is about to kill him when Spider-Man swoops in and saves the day. They're just saving each other's lives left and right.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> something explodes. Oh, his gun explodes by the web, web gum. Or the web. The webbing. spider webbing. But his My body. Good. Webbing jammed
0: the mechanism. His, Dang.
1: Yeah, his body armor saves him. Uh, and he comes crashing to the ground. And that's when they realize that they don't know where Amanda Sefton is. And we, as the audience, see her get kidnapped by, I don't know, who is this who guy? Jardine. Is it Jardine? No? Okay. So he's about to push her into a car, but when he opens up the door, he sees Cutthroat in the backseat all tied up. And that's because Spider-Man and Nightcrawler were expecting him to make this play.
0: Spider-Man and and you, Kurt Wagner.
1: I've got the girl, heroes, and I've got the gun. Step out of line and I'll use it.
0: Nightcrawler gets the gun and Spider-Man punches. Wow, he really, he, he knocks... Jardine over a car. He punches him so hard. He's mad. He's like, oh, this this night
1: ends. It ends now. <laughs> All I wanted to do was go see the circus by myself.
0: And apparently, and I don't understand this, but uh, Spider-Man finds a narco dart beneath Jardine's body. Take a look at the markings on it, and it's, it's apparently Arcade's narco dart, but I... I don't understand why Spider-Man thinks they have a guardian angel looking after them.
1: I think they think that. Well, I mean, Arcade must have had some role in this, right? Maybe he was just trying to keep everybody alive so that he could have his revenge at some point.
0: Well, right, but what, like, did the narco dart knock anybody out? Or I'm not sure what the point of the narco dart is. I have no idea. Was he just carrying it on his body? No idea.
1: I got, I got, I got confused by that as well because nowhere in here is is like. Oh, the chips are down, and Spider-Man and Nightcrawler are gonna be killed if somebody doesn't stop Jardine. When all of a sudden he falls over for no reason, what happened? What's that narco dart? No, because it's Spider-Man that punches him over the over the car. So yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe as he's being punched, because look, it goes he punches uh, him, and there's a big sock, and then there's a path sound. So maybe that path sound is him being shot by the narco dart as he's being punched over the car. So it's kind of unnecessary. But Arcade's (laughs) like, I'd like someone to recognize what I've done for you tonight. (laughs) That
0: that was pretty good.
1: (laughs) Anyways, so that's it. Uh, Spider-Man's like, hey, you want to go check this
3: out? And uh, Nightcrawler's like, nope, I've had enough excitement for one night. All I want is some TLC. Uh... Likewise,
0: ciao, Spidey. Nice meeting you.
1: Sheesh, looks like I get stuck mopping up again.
0: Wah, wah,
1: wah. I'm Spider-Man. Woe is me. <laughs> there you go. Marvel team-up number 89. There you go,
0: indeed. You do any other reading, Adam? I did. I read Avengers 192 and 193, which uh, featured Wonder Man and Iron Man battling a Inferno monster. And while well, the rest of the Avengers revel in their new autonomy from the government status... Eventually the Avengers join the battle against Inferno and discover that Inferno was created when a man was murdered by being pushed into molten steel but when he 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 had a piece of Thor's uh hammer that he was holding on to from from when Thor visited a long time ago and that is what changed him into Inferno so he was able to seek revenge on the guy that pushed him in and the guy that ordered him to push him in And uh, kills the guy that pushed him in. he's about to go kill the guy that ordered him to push him in. But the Avengers sweep in and say, hey, that's not going to happen. We're going to put him in prison. He's okay with that. So he walks into the sea and dies. Wow. But what's interesting is at the end of Avengers 192, there's a letters page which features no letters, but talks about the response to the Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch uh, story. Okay. And I'm going to read all of this, but I'll try to skip around and make it a little bit short. Um, Let's see. It began with an attempt to reconcile the mysteries of the origin of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. The earlier version, in which the wizard appeared to be their father, didn't account for a number of the puzzle's pieces. Not the least of which was why an American named Bob would name his son Pietro. There were other mysterious references. Pietro's vow to his parents... Madeline Joyce died as soon after childbirth that he would care for Wanda. Wanda's comments about being a child during World War II and Pietro's memories of their father carving marionettes. With a tip-off from John Byrne that a certain well-known Marvel character may have a greater connection to... The twins than anyone himself included suspected it was simply a matter then of developing a chronology explaining why two different men claimed to be the father of Wando and Pietro, while a third man actually was. Um, apparently, Bova, the evolved cow woman, eventually avenge- made her first appearance in giant-sized Avengers number one, and uh, they wanted her to tell the story, but they had to like throw a story in there to be able to tell the story. And uh, they went back into the Marvel archives to research the... uh, And and again, John Byrne suggested they use the Balkans. The Balkans are a superstitious land. Perhaps we should do something moody and atmospheric involving a native demon. That would certainly contrast with the Avengers' usual villainous fare. And so we began to research native Central American demons and spirits. At first it seemed there weren't any, but then Stephen and I discovered that the arcane volume The Darkhold... Was last seen in the Balkans. It had also been in the, the area a generation earlier, changing the werewolf by night's father into a werewolf. Ooh. So, what if the Balkan estate of Gregor Russoff, werewolf and scholar, was near the Balkan peak on which Wondegor was built? Wondegor, citadel of evolutionary science, the birthplace of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. The idea was rife with possibilities. And a previous appearance of the Dark Hole in the Balkans had occurred. At about the time of the building of Wondegore, would the sorcerous forces of the area be affronted by the building of a scientific fortress on the highest peak there? The possible conflict would have been momentous. Soon after investigating every known appearance of Wondegore and the Darkhold, strange connections that posed new questions were unearthed. For instance, Spider Woman was connected to the, both in the Darkhold, having had her past revealed to her by Mordred, a sorcerer strongly connected to the book, and to Wondegore. Having spent 20 years there in suspended animation, how did Magnus, her later mentor, so now we know who that Magnor guy is, Magnus guy is, huh. know so much about her father, scientist Jonathan Drew, one of the builders of Wondagore? How would a calculating scientist like the High Evolutionary model his new men after Aetherian Knights? The Scarlet Witch started with a scientifically based mutant hex, but later she was known to have a significant aptitude for true magic, how was sorcery connected to her mutant birth in Wundegore? Why did her mutant powers fade twice in her career, forcing her to travel back to her native land to reacquire them? What would a particular environment have to do with mutant powers? As we grappled with these questions and others, some strange patterns emerged, and it seemed so obvious in retrospect that it was as if the long list of writers of the Wando Pietro saga had been guided by an unseen plan throughout their apparently contradictory works. So they were able to con, uh, connect Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, the High Evolutionary, the Wizard, Miss America, Bova, Django Maximoff, Jonathan Drew, Gregor Russoff, Spider-Woman, Mordred the Mystic, Morgan Le Fay, Magnus, the Knights of Wendegore, the Demon of Darkhold, and Merlin himself. We also had one weird story. And they reference that you can read about Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in several issues of X-Men, Avengers, Giant Size Avengers, number one, four. You can read it, they give you a list of... Uh, Issues you can read about Wondagore, And they give you a list of issues you can read about all of the Darkhold, where all that took place. And then they say, last but not least, we congratulate the many Marvel maniacs who figured out the identity of the true father of Wanda and Pietro from the clues set down in the Wondagore trilogy and of in, of all places, X-Men 125. So what's the big deal, you might ask? Why don't you just come right out and say that Wando and Pietro's father is M asterisk, G-N asterisk, T asterisk? Because it's a secret. That's why. You see, it doesn't matter to Wando and Pietro who their natural father is. They never knew him as their father. They don't know he is their father. Moreover, the gentleman in question does not know that he ever fathered any children, and there is no way for him to find out. Magna... The children's mother died somewhere in the mountains near Wundegor, and only she knew the secret. Not even Bova knows the identity of Magda's husband. No one knows, save for you and us and the Watcher. Far out, eh? (laughs) Hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting as a follow-up to the... That is. So,
1: So, I mean, obviously at some point, the characters themselves find all this information out. Right.
0: I'm looking forward to when that happens.
1: But it almost looks as if what you just read to me there is it's as if like look we've we've connected all the dots we've put all the pieces together but like it would be impossible for these characters to ever find out the truth because there's no reason for them to ever find out the truth makes sense well
0: i mean they don't imply they don't they, they don't imply that they will never find the truth just that yeah there is there is no reason for them to find out the truth
1: so anyways well
0: it's very interesting <clears throat> so who's Magnus? Uh, Magnus is apparently Spider Woman's mentor it, who, who also knew her father.
1: So at some point, Magneto goes by the name Magnus.
0: Different Magnus. Okay.
1: <clears throat> All righty. Anything else?
0: Oh, that, that's that's it.
1: All right then. Well, uh, then until next time, the Danger Room is closed. Who am I?
2: I am Wolverine This is going to work And so my friend you see it's true I am an X-Man who isn't blue Who am I I am Wolverine I've hey, got it today <laughs> <laughs> No! <laughs> <laughs> the end there. Uh, Too early! A round of applause! Wee, there it is!